Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Gork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women and Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jer McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JerMcCarthy74. On this week's show, EchoLive.ie and Echo Newspaper Chief Sub-Editor Rory Noonan joins me to preview the biggest day in the Cork Ladies Football Club calendar, three senior, intermediate and junior county finals down for decision on Saturday. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran reviews every game from the latest round of the AFLW season, assesses how the Irish contingent fared, and we preview some of the weekend's most important clashes. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie is back on the Big Red Bench to preview both the W Series and Formula One Singapore Grand Prix weekends, and we go through all the latest off-track news as well. As well as that, EchoLive.ie columnist Linda Mellerick reviews the four SE Systems Corkamogi Senior Championship quarterfinals, picks out some of the standout players and looks ahead to two cracking semi-finals. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. It is the biggest weekend of the year for Cork LGFA with no less than three county finals taking place at MTU on Saturday. O'Donovan Rossa take on Neva Vaughan in the Junior A County Final, Glanmire go toe-to-toe with Castlehaven in the Intermediate County Decider and then the big one. Champions Moore Abbey put their Senior A County title on the line for the second year in a row against their Oge. On Sunday, Clannacilty and Fermoy battle it out for the Senior B County Championship while Valley Rovers and Inch Rovers battle it out to stay in the senior ranks with a relegation playoff. EchoLive.ie and Echo Newspaper Chief Sub-Editor Rory Noonan joins me to provide an in-depth preview of all this weekend's finals. And just a note that we mentioned uh, the fact that Clannacilty and Fermoy's Senior B County Final uh, on Sunday had a 3pm throw and that's since been changed to 2pm. Okay, well it's going to be an absolutely huge weekend for Cork LGFA on the club scene because we have no less than three county finals taking place on Saturday at MTU as part of a fantastic triple header and then on Sunday two other big games at the same venue. It starts at noon on Saturday in the Curtain Razor in the County Junior A Football Championship Final between West Cork's O'Donovan Rossa and Nave Abon. That's quickly followed by the LGFA Intermediate County Decider. What a cracker this is going to be. Castlehaven against Glanmire and then the big one. The repeat of last year's final, the Senior A final between Mornabi and Airog, throwing in at 4pm and as if that wasn't enough the following afternoon, Clannacilty and Fermoy will clash in the Senior B County Decider, that's also got at MTU with a 3pm throw in and beforehand, Valley Rovers will attempt to avoid relegation from the top tier in a playoff against Inch Rovers at the same venue and there's a noon throw in down for that. Joining me to try and make sense of it all and predict exactly what's going to happen is the Chief Sub-Editor of the Echo Newspaper and EchoLive.ie, Rory Noonan. Rory, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me back. Um, let's start with the big one, and that is the Senior A final. It's a repeat of last year. More Abbey Nairog, as we both predicted, it, would, it looked like it was going to be. Uh, this past weekend, Nairog got the better of um, uh, Bride Rovers in ovens, uh, 5.13 to 11 points. I was at that game, and you can find that report on echolive.ie. But the other semi-final... Uh, Proved a little bit closer than I think people might have anticipated, but the reigning Cork and Munster champions came through one fifteen to two six. Mornaby through yet again, Rory. Yeah, I suppose it's no great surprise, as we said, that to expect that these two have reached the final. They've been the standout teams last year, and again, they've they've proved to be the same this year. Um, I think it's going to be a great final. Mornaby, you know, have got got the job done, as they say. Maybe had have been much improved this year, so it's going to be a, a difficult semi final that one, but. You know, when you have the likes of Duran O'Sullivan, Kiro O'Sullivan, Norfolk, Stirl, all, all these people in, in scoring form, you are uh, you have a, a serious tread up front. 
So, I mean, Laura, Laura likes to get a goal in a match and she continued that in, in the semi-final and I wouldn't be betting against her not doing the, the, the same in, in the final against Aero. And like Darren this year has just been outstanding in every every match that she's played. Uh, she didn't play against Aero in, in, in the, the last uh, group match. But other than that, like she's been scoring a couple of goals a game and again, this did, again against Hadda, she got eight more points. So, really, you know, Mornabi are in good form going into the, into the final. They certainly are. Um, a word about Ahada, Rory, because they've had a really good year. And look, uh, Amy O'Connor, uh, the Cork Camogie star, got a penalty. Roisin Phelan popped up with a goal. But the likes of Sarah Lee, Rachel Lee, and Hannah Looney have been really, really impressive for them this year. They will look to build on this next season. Oh, absolutely. I think they'll, they'll have learned a lot from this year. And um, Hannah's dad, George, in charge of the team. He's came in this year, took them over. And he's certainly um, up the ante with them. And they're a much, they're, they have improved. And like I suppose Roisin Phelan and Hannah herself coming back um, have been huge, huge, huge additions to the squad. Rachel and Sarah have, are improving every every year and every time we see them. And then they brought in the like the secret little sneak weapon there of like uh, kind of after a match or two in the season in Amy O'Connor, who again has uh, proved fairly prolific for them in the, in the scoring chart. She's um, averaged I think about one, 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 two since the, in the couple of matches she's played. So certainly, um, if they can hold on to all of them for next year and, and you know, improve a little bit and get a little bit more experience, they're going to be a threat next year again. So a fair play to have for on a very, very good season for them. And they can certainly be happy enough with it. I know they'll be disappointed they've lost, but they can be happy enough with their, their season so this year. Yeah, well said. The other semi-finals, I said, I was in ovens myself. Emer Scally scored two goals inside the first five minutes. That put Bright Rovers on the back foot. Now, they did put up a really good fight, in fairness to them. Um, Katie Quirk top scoring with seven points, but they lost Jen Barry to an injury uh, early in the first half, and that upset their rhythm. But uh, winning 5-13 to 11 points, Laura Cleary with 1-2, Orla Cahalan with 1-1. One, one. Um, I guess one of the things coming out of this semi-final, just two things, uh, Rory. One, it was an unbelievably physical game, a really strong game, a lot of meaty tackles. Um, I think Bride will have learned an awful lot from that 60 minutes in ovens and they can take that into next season. But Air Og were missing Maeve Callan and lost Isabel Sheehan uh, just before throwing and then lost um, Roisin Sheehan, I think it was uh, two minute, 12, 10 minutes into the game. They didn't miss a beat. They, they had quality off the bench and this is a stronger panel, I would say to you, since last year. But will it be enough from Air Og's point of view um, to get over Mornabi in the final? Oh, I, that's that's this dreamy difficult question to answer. <laughs> but uh, um, I don't. I think it's going to be a lot tighter than last year. I mean, you know, in in fairness, uh, may have made a couple of good saves in the final last year for 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 Mornabi against their Oak. Had they won, had they got one of those goals, you know, might have given them that little bit of confidence they needed. I think they'll have learned a lot from last year's final. Uh, it was the first time they were in one, and you you do learn from that. And, and Donald Cronin, the manager, is a very very good guy. He would have he would have learned a lot about how to even handle the day itself. Mm. You know, um, going into the match because you know players, all players get nervous. There's no point in saying otherwise. So what they do for the day and how they handle the whole scenario itself was something he'll have learned that from a, a manager's point of view. Certainly, I think the squad is stronger. I think they're like, like they've gained like the Warlock Callan's a bit older, and and the Clearies, um, and there's a few others there, but. So I think, you know, they are going to be a very, very serious threat. And to, to be fair to them, like, they have been, I suppose, ruthless is the word to use mm. in, in all their games so far. You know, they haven't let any team off the hook once they've, once they've started. They've started that pace and they've continued that pace right, right, right through every game. And even in the last group game, I know Mornabi played what you would call maybe a reduced side in numbers-wise. But in fairness, they're, they set about their tasks. They set about playing the way they like to play. And they've continued that in every game. 
and deservedly are where they are and deservedly have, an, um, have got the opportunity to have another crack off of Moran Abbey on Saturday and I think it's going to be very, very close and it could come down to who will out, will, will Emer Skelly outshoot Duran O'Sullivan. It could actually come down to that on the day. I think it could be that tight. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. I'll go one step further because I put you on the spot. I think Aeroge are much, much improved since last year and last year's county final. I think they've they've definitely developed a better panel. They're stronger, but I still think the fact that Shane Ronan decided to give all the most of the Mornabby Cork seniors a break during the league campaign this year was very smart coming off the intercounty uh, campaign. I think that has helped them. I think they look ruthless and I think Mornabby are going to win it, but I think it's going to be a lot, lot closer than people might anticipate. I actually believe there might only be a point in it and don't rule out uh, extra time. And remember, this is a venue where you and I have seen uh, you know, free-taking to decide a county final. It, it promises to be an absolute classic. It's going to be hard-hitting. It's going to be extremely physical. Um, but I think it's going to be a fantastic advert uh, for Cork Ladies football. But I think the reigning champions and the Munster champions, Morn Abbey, they are still the barometer. And I think they still have enough about them, just about, I think, to see off Aerog this year. So that's what I'm uh, leaning towards. Absolutely, and, and without getting into controversial areas, because I know you know we don't want to do that too much. But the referee could actually play a big part yes. here, yes. and you know, you know, the, the ref um, who's I don't know right now, and we don't know right now who's going to be uh, the man in the middle. But you know, some referees like to let things go, and others others will pull up everything. But both these teams like to let things go and like to get on with it, and hopefully that's what will happen on Saturday. You know that we won't have a stop start game because I think that could ruin it. Whereas both these teams. Don't mind the physical aspect of it. They're willing to. They're willing to take the tackle. They're willing to put ones in as well to her on both sides. And I and I think hopefully we'll we'll see a good free flowing game. And uh, yeah, Mornabi will be slight favourites. There's no point in saying otherwise. They do have that experience. Um, but I think as like you, I think it's going to be very very close and and a great game. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, we. I think any, any neutral who's in around the M2 area on Saturday has three fantastic finals on, but that one specifically um, should be a standout game. Now, also uh, this weekend, the Senior B final, which is contested between the teams that didn't, uh, the clubs that didn't make it through to the Senior A semi-finals, will see Clannacilty taking on Formoy. Uh, Clannacilty coming through against uh, Valley Rovers and then edging uh, a Kinsale team without an injured Orla Finn, 2-9-1-8 in the past week. Uh, Kira Ryan putting in 1-7 for Clander. She's having a really good season. Sinead Dunman 1-1. Formoy, uh, were, up, were put to the pin at our collar uh, by St. Val's before edging uh, that their senior B semi-final 2-12 to 15 points Abby Scannell and Ashling Daly's goals proving crucial there um, this is on Sunday afternoon uh, uh, Rory and it's look two teams with looking to end their seasons on a high um, it should make for a very very open game and with the shackles off uh, a high scoring affair too hopefully Exactly I think it'll be a great game and I suppose mentioned must be made of plan you know, fair play to them. They, they, they've come up from the intermediate last year and, and to get to the Senior B final this year can, um, is, is a great achievement for them. Obviously, they would have hoped to get to the, uh, the, the Senior A, but they didn't. They're in the Senior B and I think that in itself is, is a great achievement for them from their first year up. And they, 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 they will probably, in my view, I think they will, might just shade it over for my at the weekend. I know they clashed there recently, um, a close game, but I think, um, you know, I think Clan just might have that little bit over for my on Sunday. I'm going to uh, abstain from uh, predicting this one due to my uh, location in West Cork for people that don't know I I, te- I have been seen wearing a red and green jersey in the past but I do hope um, 
the, it, that it's a good game and I do hope it's a, it's a good advert because these are two very very attack minded teams a lot of talent in both teams and as I said with the shackles off I think we'll see a cracking game um, before that there is a relegation uh uh, playoff as well involving Valley Rovers and Inch Rovers two sides that don't want to be in this game but have, have ended up in it um, just briefly Rory obviously look Valley's first year up at senior has proven difficult they haven't had their full team out Inch surprising to see them in there to be quite honest with you a lot of experience in that team I'm assuming Inch's experience and just their uh, over the last couple of years of playing senior might edge it in their favour it might I, I, only before um, this morning I was looking at an old programme uh, when we saw Inch in the Senior B final in 2020 mm. and there's not a lot of changes to the team between now and then so it is a very experienced side but you could argue some of them you know, have been around a while now um, so maybe you know, are, are they getting to the end of their careers one or two might be considering if they do manage to stay up this year that they might um, decide that, that they've had enough so you know, from an Inch point of view my, my concern about them would be that there hasn't been a, a huge amount of young blood coming in last mm. year or two I know underage they have a couple of teams coming through, but hopefully, from their point of view, they'll be hoping to bridge that gap by staying up um, senior at, at the uh, on Sunday. Um, kind of very hard on Valley Rovers, you know, when your first year up and uh, missing missing the the, the Kylies for your first match or two, like didn't help them. And um, you know, they they would have, to have them back would have been for the first game in particular would have been huge. Um, so they're in a tough position, and I think I don't know. It's the system that's there, and it's like in all all leagues. It's just that's the way it is. But you know, maybe there should be something about getting two years when you do come up. I don't know whether that's that's something that a lot of clubs may disagree with me on. But you know, just just to give a side a chance to settle at a higher level because it's not easy, and there is a gap between um, intermediate and senior. There's no point in saying um, differently, like you know. No, I think that's very fair. Uh, but as you said, it'd be a quite difficult thing to, to implement. But look, we wish Valleys and Inch all the best in that relegation playoff. That's the precursor, of course, to the um, at MTU as well, ahead of the senior B final between Clonakilty and Fermoy. Now, on Saturday, uh, the second of three county finals sees Castlehaven and Glanmire going toe-to-toe for the intermediate county title. Now, Dinny Callan's Castlehaven have won numerous junior titles in the recent times they came through in flying form this year at intermediate level, beating Eric Lennon, Desmond's Bui, Awendala, Dunamore and Roscarby to reach the final. But Glanmire have been here, done that on numerous occasions as well in recent times at the intermediate county final level. They've been equally impressive, seeing off Roscarby, Bantry Blues and Eric Lennon, Desmond's Bui. This is a very, very tough one to call Rory, but it's the same venue I'm writing about in this week's Southern Star where we witnessed um, Castlehaven edge Donnie's in a dramatic junior A final last year on free kicks after it finished level at normal extra time. But Glanmire know what they're doing when they get to the stage. Castlehaven are new to it. Uh, this could well be the game of the weekend. Absolutely. And I think that, again, like the senior final, this has the potential to be an absolute cracker. Um, Again, must you must must applaud the, the Castlehaven, you know, coming straight up and straight to the, and straight into the next final, and, and the ambition of going up senior, um, is 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 huge for them, and 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 it is of great credit alone just for getting to the final. Um, they are they have a winning mentality that from last year, and they had to still nerves of steel in that penalty and that that free kicks last year. Sorry, not penalties, free kicks to to beat Donnie's. You know, that was a fairly nerving because as you both as we both can remember, Donnie's thought they had it won. And and then they didn't, and then one of the one of the Castlehaven players had to take a kick to to, to win it. And um, a couple of seconds later, so it was a real dramatic day out there. And in fairness to the Haven, they've they've now got to the final against Glanmire. I 
Glenmire to me are, are, are a team that go have been going very very well. They were they got to the league final at senior level this year. They as I said before they they played up senior and that that'll stand to them. But something in the back of my mind has got this sneaking suspicion that the Haven could find themselves in the senior ranks next year. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, but then I haven't seen Glenmire in the flesh this year, but the reports of their performances have been very, very positive. It's just the momentum that's behind Castlehaven coming up from Junior E. Uh, I think it was only 2012. It's less than 10 years since they first put a senior ladies football, t- ladies club together. So the, the the momentum is certainly with them. The the one concern I'd have with them is that for all the momentum, this is the toughest team they're going to face this year. And it's a team that are probably sick of losing intermediate county finals and will use that to drive them on. I think it's going to be very, very close. I Again, it's very, very hard to call. But I think from what I've seen, and I agree with you, I think Castlehaven have enough about them to win it. But as I said, this is going to be potentially the match of the weekend and one not to be missed in MTU on Saturday oh, afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, and don't be surprised if if we have that um, famous extra time in this one and, and going all the way. Like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if it takes extra time to separate these two sides. Our thirty um, meter free it, kicks. Our thirty meter free kicks. Like, yeah. yeah. Hope hopefully it doesn't come to that. Cause I think that's a lot of pressure yeah. on any player. To be fair, but um, but I think yeah, don't be. I wouldn't be surprised if we have a an extra twenty minutes or so on this yes. one. I think that's a fair assessment. Just one other thing on the intermediate side of things. Uh, Bantry Blues and Dunhamore, it's been confirmed that they will be involved in an intermediate relegation playoff, but that's been uh, fixed for October the 9th and that'll be taking place in Kilmichael. We finish up this week with the news of the Junior A Football Championship, always one of the most entertaining county final qualifiers, O'Donovan Rossa and Nave Aban. Uh, the past weekend, O'Donovan Rossa hammered Bear a 7.20 to 0 4 Ava O'Donovan, a name you're going to be hearing a lot about in the coming years, got 1-8 in that game. Kate O'Donovan won 5. And Laura O'Mahony, uh, Cork Senior won 2 and Lisa Hart 2-1. That sent Rosses to the top of the table, uh, level on points with Neva Vaughan. So the top two teams in the group on 9 points apiece go through to the final, which is this weekend. And it's the curtain raiser at MTU of the Trilogy. A word too, though, for Douglas and Donnie's who played this past weekend. A late, late free for Douglas, earning them a 1-8, 2-5 draw and denying Donnie's uh, an opportunity to get back to the Junior A final that they lost in such hard heartbreaking circumstances last year um, but as it stands uh, we're looking at uh, a really open game between a team we haven't talked an awful lot about Neva Bond been quietly going about their business this year Rory but uh, O'Donovan Ross are no strangers to Junior A finals but this again a very very close one to call Oh absolutely and I suppose you know if you if you look at some of the score lines that O'Donovan Ross have been putting up like they've, they've been fairly um, ruthless again like, a bit like uh, some of the teams at senior levels you know so they might start the slight favourites, but this again, like like I think like all three matches on Saturday, like calling these games really is the toss of the coin. Um, so I think that 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 could start off a, a very good and entertaining day of football out there. I suppose the team that will be kicking themselves and looking on and that will be Donnie's because you know they they, they really should have had enough to beat Douglas. They didn't, and it's cost them a, a, an opportunity to go up to the intermediate ranks that that they looked like they almost had last year. So, I mean, they'll be kicking themselves, but of the two that are in there, O'Donovan Rosses seem to be well able to put on the scores. And you said, you know, there's, there's the, the O'Donovans, Ava and Kate have been putting up a lot big scores. Lisa Hart is another one that's been scoring for them. You mentioned Laurel Manny. So, you know, I think that maybe they just might sneak it. But Neville Vaughan have been going, as you said, have been going about their business nice and quietly, not raising their head above the parapet. And they'll be, they'll be certainly well up for this one as well. Indeed they will. So um, a fantastic weekend of Cork LGFA County Finals uh, uh, coming up, as we said, on Saturday at MTU, a triple header of County Finals beginning 
um, with, at noon in the curtain raiser in the junior A county final between O'Donovan Ross and Nave Vaughan. That's followed uh, by the intermediate county final between Castlehaven and Glenmire at 2 o'clock. And then the third match and the big one. Morn Abbey and Aeroog face off for the second year in a row in the senior A final and that throws in at 4 o'clock. And not forgetting on Sunday, uh, Clannacilty and Formoy back at MTU with a 3pm thrown in the senior B county final. And prior to that, a relegation playoff from the senior ranks between Valley Rovers and Inch Rovers. It promises to be, and that's sorry, that's a noon throw-in as well for the Valley Rovers-Inch game. It promises to be uh, a weekend full of drama, full of excitement, and we'll all be back here again next week with Rory, hopefully to dissect <laughs> probably uh, an awful lot to get through. But uh, for now, uh, echo live.ie and echo newspaper chief sub-editor Rory Noonan. Thanks very, again, uh, very much again for being with us here on The Big Red Bench. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran is back on the Big Red Bench to review the latest round of matches from the AFLW. Mike and I run through each of the past weekend's round five games where there was wins for Fremantle and Geelong, a big victory for Vicky Wall and Eric O'Shea's Kangaroos, an historic first Hawthorne win and a huge defeat for the GWS Giants. And we also have all the latest AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Season weekly and overall standings following round five. Yes, indeed, we're back, thankfully, with another AFLW roundup following a very, very exciting round round five in Australia last week and who better than AFLW Ireland uh, coach to the stars and expert Mike Curran to rejoin us to go through all the headlines coming out of round five. Mike you're very welcome back to the bench how are you? Hi George delighted to be back it was a big week and a big weekend and of course we had the AFL men's final as well this weekend it might be worth a quick mention congratulations to Zach Chewy and Mark O'Connor on winning uh, a premiership with Geelong fantastic achievement as well. As somebody that's very close to Australian sports, and you because you basically breathe it, Mike. Um, where are those two? I mean, Zach Tui, especially in the Australian sports standings, in terms of you know, uh, in terms of their popularity, in terms of how well they're regarded. Oh, hugely regarded! Like Zach Tui is a legend at this stage. Like two hundred and fifty games, some achievement for an Irish player, but some achievement in general. Not too many people get to that landmark. And obviously, he started off with Carlton, but has been at Geelong for the last number of years. Absolutely flying it. He was playing his 250th game in the grand final at the MCG in front of 100,000 people plus. Won a premiership medal. Mark O'Connor from Dingle was also on the team. And both players had a great game, actually, as it turned out. So they are only the second and third Irishmen ever to win a premiership medal after Ty Kennelly in 2005 with the Sydney Swans. So it is a phenomenal achievement. And for both of them to do it on the same team is brilliant. But to do it on your... 250 game or a huge landmark game and we saw footage of him being lifted aloft by his teammates one of them Mark O'Connor he had a Portlaoise flag yeah. an Irish flag a Premiership Cup and a Premiership medal pictures don't get much better than that for sure they don't so congratulations uh, we have to we, we're going to mention that definitely but it's, it's interesting to hear just how well he's highly regarded because I don't think he gets the same love on this side of the Atlantic or on this side of the world sorry um, which is odd when you consider what his achievement his achievements uh, in, in professional sport oh, oh it is there and look he has actually signed for one more year now in the last week or two which is fantastic so he's hit 250 games the all time record for an Irish player is 264 games held by the legendary Jim Steins nobody thought it would ever come close to being broken Zach Tui has another season ahead of him with 18 to 20 games potentially now there's no guarantee he's going to play in all of those but that record is there to be taken now next year potentially for him so even more 
history to be made in the coming season for Zach, which possibly will be his last. But I, I agree totally, doesn't get the recognition at all on this side of the world, but huge achievements all around. Indeed, huge achievements all around. And well done to everybody associated uh, with the Tui and the O'Connor families. They must have been absolutely thrilled. And Geelong as well. Now, we turn our attention to the AFLW. Round 5 began uh, last Thursday with the, in a Western Derby, Fremantle got their first win of the season. They finally managed to do it, Mike, at the expense of the West Coast Eagles. They did, and they badly needed a look at it. Was the, it was the RSE Western Derby. Fremantle have never lost a Western Derby, but they needed this one more than ever, and they got over the line for their first win of the season, and it was a very entertaining and close game. Um, very close throughout. They got their first win of, of season seven. It was a brilliant night for the Irish. Ornia Tai, who's been phenomenal every round so far, scored two goals for um, the Dockers of their three goals, and she was amongst the best on ground. But it was Orla Lally, probably, who was the standout player this week. She's playing in her fifth game. She'd been in the backs for the previous four games. This time around, she was moved up to the forwards to half-forward flank, and she had her breakout game for the season. Ten disposals, nine kicks, um, three marks, but they were three contested marks when the game was in the balance and really helped to keep the ball locked into the Dockers' forward line. Uh, two tackles. So that was brilliant for Orla. And of course, we also saw Amy Mulholland play as well. So first win ever for Orla Lally and Amy Mulholland. And fantastic to see it. And they got their, to sing their song on, on a Powerade show. I know Orla was talking about in an interview afterwards as a unique and new experience. Um, but yeah, brilliant that the Dockers have their first win on the board. And of course, in round four, they picked up a draw. So, so they their season is slowly starting to turn around. Yes, and of course the obvious thing for Frio is that they, they want to get into the top eight and they were expected to are expected to do so before the season started. Now they're only up to 15th at the moment, but as you said, picking up a draw and a very, very badly needed win has them on the upward curve and they look like they're going to continue that in the coming weeks. Also, last Thursday, we had a 50-point win for Rachel Kearns' Geelong and their, their highest ever AFLW score, 71-21 over Clara Fitzpatrick St Kilda. It was, and look, we've been praising the defence of Geelong uh, across the last few weeks and, and how tight they are on the defensive side, but they scored their highest total ever, as you mentioned, to dish out a 50-point thumping to St Kilda. That's their biggest ever victory. So the Saints lost a lot of players to injury during the game and actually finished with a, a juice bench of only two players, but it really was Geelong who played their best football of the year, and it was a four-goal second quarter that did most of the damage. Geelong are now up to sixth so they're in the final positions halfway through the season and they're going to be delighted to be in that position three wins and two losses for them this season um, so absolutely phenomenal Clara Fitz was the only Irish player on so show she was back in action this week after missing round four when she returned to Ireland for personal reasons for a close friend's wedding uh, she was back in action but she could not hold the tide this time round a brilliant wing for Geelong Yes, indeed, a very good and important win. In fact, that they're putting up that kind of points tally, as you just said, um, does bode well for the rest of the season. They're up into sixth. They're in around that mix with the teams on 12 points. And uh, if they can maintain that kind of consistency, there's no reason they can't continue their rise up the ladder, as we just said. Those were the two games on Thursday. Fremantle beating the Eagles by three points and a big 50-point win for the Cats over the St. Kilda, as we just said. On to Friday and a clutch of very, very important games. And we begin with Vicky Wall and Erica O'Shea's they're continuing their excellent season with the North with Kangaroo, with the North Melbourne Kangaroos, beating the Western Bulldogs by 15 points and ending the Bulldogs' recent unbeaten run week. Yeah, this was an exciting game, and of course, this really had footy fever written all over it. It was Grand Final weekend. There was a public holiday on Friday. We saw four AFLW matches. 
there was a sellout crowd, a lockout, they're calling it, at Punt Road for this game. People were peering in through the fences from the streets to try and get a look at these two teams and they were treated to a very close game. But as you said, it was Melbourne who got over the previously unbeaten Bulldogs to pick up their third win. And now they're up to seventh in the ladder as well. But it was a big pressure performance from North. They disrupted the Bulldogs' contested marking game, which has been significant in their wins so far. And again, a big contribution for the Irish. Vicky Wall scored another outstanding goal. She's scoring cracking goals week in, week out now at this stage. Uh, seven disposals for her, but again, seven tackles. So in, imposing her physicality on the game. And also Eric O'Shea becoming very consistent as well, playing off halfback. Uh, so a brilliant win for their third win for the two girls and for the North Melbourne Kangaroos. And they are also turning their season around with momentum on their side. Very much so. Um, I expected Vicky Wall to have an impact, Mike. I did not expect her to have this impact this soon um, on, 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 on a new sport and a, a new way of life. Erica, we know all about. Erica has settled in very quickly. She had the preseason, But Vicky coming out so late and starting to contribute on a consistent basis, which is what the Kangaroos, I think, probably would have hoped for more than anything. Um, and to have them in the top eight of the ladder at the moment, in around that clutch of clubs on 12 points, it's as good a start as they could have wished for. Now, the Western Bulldogs, obviously um, a team as well with similar aspirations uh, to get to, to get into the top eight and reach the, the playoffs. But if Vicky and Erica can continue with these types of performances, they're going to help the Kangaroos and they can see the Kangaroos breaking in to that top eight before the season is out and hopefully um, going on to the final stages as uh, a lot of Irish people and a lot of fans on this side of the world will be hoping for as well. As well on Friday night, uh, Sarah Rowe and Ashley Sheridan's Collingwood moved into second place in the standings thanks to an 11-point win over Joanne Doonan and Megan Ryan's Essendon Bombers. 28-17, another good performance from Collingwood here, Mike. It was, and look, we've said it a couple of times, they're tipping along nicely, no huge fuss, but they're up to third on the ladder now, so they've got four wins out of five games after getting over Essendon by 11 points. It kind of took them till the second half to really adapt their style of play to what were slippery conditions, but they got on top of the clearances and kind of took out the game from there on in, but there wasn't much in it. Uh, Joanne Doonan was actually the pick of the Irish on the night for Essendon. She played very well, nine disposals, uh, three tackles. Um, Sarah Rowe probably had her best run out of the season so far as well, getting uh, on a little more ball than normal. And of course, Ashling Sheridan picked up an injury in round four and it looked potentially very serious at the time uh, when she went off the game with a knee injury. But thankfully, uh, she will miss three to four weeks, they're saying, but thankfully uh, it's uh, an injury that's rehabable if that's even a word, and she will be back at some stage across the next few rounds, but for a split second there in round four it looked like we were going to get another bad news story about a knee injury, but mm. hopefully we'll see Ashton back in action sooner rather than later, but it will be a few weeks. Yeah, absolutely, and, and like hopefully those few weeks in that rehab, she'll come back in at just at the right time as well uh, for Collingwood, like when they're doing well, hopefully towards the top end of the ladder and she can make an, a similar impact uh, but we wish her well on that um, also on Friday night I suppose the big headline for me anyway and the one that was all over social media history made Aileen Gilroy and Anya McDonough's Hawks getting their first ever AFLW victory at the expense of the Sydney Swans winning 35-31 unbelievable scenes at the horn right at the end Mike and a fantastic story for Hawthorne a great story and look at this by all accounts was the game of the weekend due to a number of factors. Firstly, of course, it was two expansion teams who hadn't had a win yet, so someone was going to come out that with, with a win. Secondly, it had been a chaotic and tumultuous week for the Hawthorne Club with all sorts of things going on off-field there in relation to historical coaching incidents and that. So there was a lot of emotion. It was a big game. 
Uh, they went four goals behind in the first quarter and it was a good old-fashioned spray from head coach Beck Goddard. I think, what's the equivalent of that in GA terms? <laughs> um, a hair dryer, I'd say, and maybe a tractor and a few other things as well, yeah. Exactly, but that definitely seemed to, to turn the tide and thankfully, thankfully from there on, um, Hawthorne were brilliant and I suppose the spirit and the game was summed up by a fantastic goal by Aileen Gilroy towards the end of the third quarter. Uh, possibly one of the goals of the year in terms of the, the build-up to it from coming what all the way goal. up the ground and that. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we saw her, her own reaction to it and we saw what that meant. So, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. A first ever AFLW win for Hawthorne. Historic stuff. Aileen Gilroy was brilliant. Anya McDonough, of course, was playing. We missed out in round four that Anya McDonough made her debut last week. Uh, so she's now getting consistent game time. That's brilliant to see as well. So all our Irish players have made their debuts now. But yeah, they've got their win. They thoroughly deserved it. And it's now a case of seeing can they build on that from here on in. Yeah, a fantastic win. It's just lovely to see those scenes because they're the things that I suppose get the armchair viewer, maybe not necessarily the out-and-out AFLW fan off their seats and, and checking on, on uh, across social media why this is important and why it's so important for a new franchise to find their feet and get that first win um, and Hawthorne. And we, we wish Aileen and Anya all the best as well for the remainder of the campaign, however long uh, they'll be involved in it. Um, the final game on Friday night, uh, Melbourne, the Demons winning by 42 in Carlton. Sinead McGoldrick and Blind Mackens, Melbourne, coming bouncing back from a loss to Brisbane uh, the week before, Mike, uh, winning by 42 points. The Ds are up to fourth now um, and looking good. They're looking very good. And look, we expected a bounce back from the, the game the week before. And look, at Carlton were without question below strength. They were missing some key players. There's some big injuries during the week. They've had to sign some injury replacement players in the last week even. But take take no nothing away from that. Melbourne definitely took full advantage to get back to their winning ways. Um, their standard high-pressure game now that we've become used to at this stage just forced continuous turnovers from Carlton. Taylor Harris scored three goals putting her past the Magic 50-goal mark. And, of course, Taylor was formerly a Carlton player, so that was kind of a side note to the, the game as well. Uh, but, yeah, brilliant return to, to winning ways for Melbourne. Uh, Blind Mackin was playing in her second game. She made her debut last weekend as well in round four. She was out for her second game. And, of course, playing alongside Sinead Goldrick, who played her first game of the season after picking up an injury to her hamstring after the practice round. So, Round six saw her make her first return and already bringing in energy to the halfback flank there and to the and to the squad and they'd be delighted to have them back. So a potential trip to Fremantle this weekend, I think, for the Demons and another big game ahead. Yes, uh, the game's coming thick and fast for the Demons, but I think that performance, I think just the fact, as you said, that uh, the settle, I think the settled nature of the team now, a lot of players coming back from injury, the Ds really need to keep an eye on them, certainly if, they get, if they're open to fourth and if you put up 50 points in any game, you're doing something right, albeit against Carlton, but yeah, good on them. And I think uh, Melbourne are a team at the start of the year, we had spoken about in the pre-season uh, preview show that we were saying, look, we didn't know which way it was going to go, but if they got things right, they could be a team to watch and it seems to be turning out that way. On to Saturday, the 24th of September, and I can only describe this as the biggest or the hugest upset of the season so far. Um, the Brisbane Lions suffer their first defeat, Orlo Dwyer's Lions, their first AFL loss of the season, to Richmond, the Richmond Tigers, are you or were you as surprised as I was, Mike, at this? No, I was. There's no question it's, it's the shock of the year so far. There's a couple of things to bear in mind, though. Again, Richmond have been a team that's tipping along nicely. This is now their third win in a row, so they are not going too badly at all. But they had some key players sitting up in the stands. Katie Brennan, their captain, and Sarah Hosking were both missing out on the day. So I did not see this coming, and I don't think anybody did. Um, obviously, Brisbane 
have been winning for fun so far. They've, not only have they been winning, they've been blowing teams away by huge scores uh, up to this point. But it was a brilliant effort by the Tigers who, who actually held out. Um, they battened down the hatches. It was a battle. There was a strong swirling wind on, on Punt Road. And Richmond showed nerves of steel to hang on right to the end because even for the last 10 minutes, um, the Lions were peppering the Tigers' goals, but they couldn't um, get over the line. So, in effect, it is a brilliant win for the Tigers. They now have momentum. It is their third in a row. They have a couple of players to come back, so they'll be excited about where they're sitting and the momentum they have. But um, for Brisbane, yeah, I think they'll be wanting to bounce back very strongly in round six this weekend again. So, um Whoever they're up against, I think, will feel the wrath of that. Yeah, absolutely. But what a performance uh, for them. And like it's not easy to take on the Lions at any time, especially when they were going so well and undefeated. Um, but a big boost for the Tigers. That's the key thing. Can they back it up now, though, uh, in the remaining rounds? That remains to be seen. But for them... And, prob- one, and, and one of the key things there, Ola Dwyer, yeah. probably in terms of her disposals, one of the quietest games of the year. She had only five disposals, but six tackles. So when Ola Dwyer has to make more tackles than disposals, you know the Lions are yeah. under pressure. Yes, that's the thing, and it doesn't it just show her influence already on that on that team and how well her season is going? But yeah, I, we'll have a look at the round six fixtures and God help us, who's playing the Lions anyway, one way or the other. Um, on to Sunday, the final two games, uh, the Port Adelaide, uh, Port Adelaide uh, going down forty six thirty two to the Gold Coast Suns um, in a high scoring uh, encounter, Mike, and a good win for the Suns. A brilliant win for the Suns. Look, at they actually dominated the game for three quarters completely. Port Adelaide really only came into it in the last quarter with three goals um, to make the scoreline a bit more respectable. But it's a brilliant win for Gold Coast Suns. Of course, they are a more experienced team against one of the expansion clubs, Port Adelaide. Um, they came back into it, but that's a solid win for the Suns for sure. And finally, the one result, unfortunately, that caught my attention, I say unfortunately from my car connections, 97 Adelaide Crows beating the the Giants 97-1. I, I'm not making a mistake on that scoreline. That was the actual score. That's correct? You're not making a mistake there. And I tell you, I got up at half five to watch the one. <laughs> and I was regretting it pretty quickly. You know, wow, the biggest win in AFLW history, 96 points. I was watching the game live and the writing was on the cards from very early. It was ominous after 10 minutes. I dreaded what was coming. Adelaide Crows had kicked five goals, five behinds to no score within 10 minutes. They were literally on fire, and I was just feeling for the Giants players out there. You know, um, that's four wins on the trot now for Adelaide since they lost their round one grand final mm. rematch. They have a huge percentage boost now with that scoreline that's pushed them nicely up the table as well. The Giants are now on uh, four losses. They only got their behind very late in the third quarter. Thank God they got it, or they've ha- they'd have had the distinction of being the only team ever to have a zero score. But look at the Crows look clean and polished. Their midfield stars were brilliant. Ebony Marinhoff and Hatchard, unstoppable. Uh, Breed stack never stopped in terms of the Irish players from one end of the game to the other. You have to feel for Breed. A few weeks ago, we were talking about how she kind of settled into her role. She knew what she's doing. She knew her position. Then there's a few injuries at the Giants and suddenly Breed Stack is one of the main ruck players and she's rucking all around the ground in a position that she has no experience in, normally against players much taller than her. But in fairness, she never stopped and um, she's been getting better in that role week on week. But again, that'll be no consolation to Breed and Cora. Those girls don't like to lose and especially don't like to lose in that manner. That's one. That one's going to hurt and they will be looking for a bounce back next weekend.
Um, I don't think I could have put it any better myself. I know Breed Stack, um, and I know I've, I've listened to Coruscant and uh, read her work all my life, like, and I know what a winner she is as well. That would have hurt. I just couldn't believe the scoreline, and maybe it's just one of those day, those days. And as you said, Adelaide have been on a run since losing their opening game, but ninety seven won that really does sting. And um, the Giants have an opportunity now; they need to bounce back and bounce back quickly. Before we move on, let's have a quick check of the round six fixtures coming up this weekend. And at the end of it, Mike, I'll just ask you the one game or two games that maybe that are standing out for you on Friday, thirtieth um, uh, of September. Hawthorne taking on the West Coast Eagles. Hawks, of course, coming off their historic first win. And then we have the Adelaide Derby, Port Adelaide and Adelaide Crows. Big occasion there at the Adelaide Oval. On to Saturday, the Giants get their chance of bounce back against Carlton um, at Henson Park. Then the Bulldogs take on the Cats. That should be an interesting game. St Kilda and Collingwood meet at R. SEA Park and then Richmond and the Gold Coast Suns clash at the Swinburne Centre uh, on to Sunday and we've got three games on the slate for then Brisbane Lions an opportunity to bounce back as well from their first defeat they take on the Essendon Bombers that's followed by Fremantle and the D's uh, at Fremantle Community Bank Oval and it all finishes off on Sunday with uh, the North uh, Melbourne Kangaroos Vicky Wall and Eric O'Shea looking to continue their recent good form at the expense of the Sydney Swans any game really there jump out? There's a few probably the games on Sunday. Melbourne and Fremantle is going to be a big one. Mm. Obviously, Melbourne are in flying form. Fremantle have just turned the corner a bit, but they have a huge challenge coming straight on, down the line against them now. Lions are going to want to bounce back big against Essendon, so you'll be hoping that Essendon can hold out there. And and then, of course, the likes of Giants, we just mentioned, crucial game for them against Carlton. L- Giants are coming off a massive loss. Carlton won't be happy with a big loss to Melbourne either, so both teams will be desperately trying to eke out a win there. So that's potentially the pick of the round. And I know Port Adelaide are an expansion team, but it's the first ever AFLW showdown. The showdowns up in Adelaide are massive games mm. when the Crows take on Port Adelaide. So there'll be huge interest in that one as well. So plenty to keep us occupied across the full weekend. <laughs> Indeed, I always laugh when you say that. There, there would be anyway, even if there wasn't games. There's so much going on. Um, we move on to the AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings. Round five, Ashley McCarthy topping the, uh, the score with 60. Orla Lally 67 in second Anya Tyg third and 51 Breed Stack with 48 Aileen Gilroy 47 and Vicky Wall 47 that means in the overall AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings Ashley McCarthy well out in front now 355 Anya Tyg second on 310 Aileen Gilroy 290 Orla Dwyer 270 uh, Vicky Wall 225 and Breed Stack on 185 um, Ashley McCarthy I suppose really is the, the one point to take out of that Mike she's just having such a good season and that's reflected in the AFLW FLW Ireland Player of the Year standings. She's brilliant, here from start to finish. She's led it from week one. We're into we're five weeks down. She's still at the top there. In fairness, uh, Anya Tai as well. The same Aileen Gilroy, the Triple E superstars up at the top of the leaderboard there. Orla Dwyer is thereabouts. Vicky Wall, first year player in the top five. That's phenomenal. We mentioned earlier the the impact she's having and the immediate impact. And I'm delighted to see Breed Stack in the top six there as well because she's working like a Trojan horse at the minute and uh, the results might be going her way, but she's having a brilliant season herself. So delighted to see her breaking into the top six there as well. But what a list it is. And there's definitely um, room for people to jump up and down that list across the next few week as well, as weeks as well. So the race to the finish will be exciting. It certainly will. Before we finish, not content with coaching all the best Irish players, not content with promoting AFLW over here in, across, in Australia as well, and not content with being an expert and watching all the games at all hours of the morning and talking to us here on the Big Red Bench. Mike Curran has found time to create his own podcast, which I find, I didn't realise it was 25 hours in the day, Mike. <laughs> Tell us about this podcast and where people can find it. 
Uh, yeah, thanks. Look, I don't know if it's, it's a mini podcast, I suppose, of anything, but it's more a case of we're just chatting with uh, some of the Irish players, and most particularly, I suppose, the players that I helped um, get over to the AFLW this year myself, um, and we'll catch up with them across the next few weeks. But yeah, it's the Irish AFLW, Mike. You'll catch it on our AFLW underscore Ireland Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we'll be aiming to do one a week if we can if we can keep it going. It's, it's not guaranteed. But um, yeah, if anyone wants to listen to some some chats with the, with the players, we had Anya McDonough last week, we have Blind Mackin this week, and we'll catch up with a number of the players across the next few weeks. So anyone that wants to tune in and listen to see how the players are getting on, we'd be lo- we'd be delighted for you to jump on and have a listen. Excellent stuff. We'll uh, we'll keep plugging that, and I'm going to have a listen myself now as well. Uh, as always, though, Mike, uh, thank you for giving up what little free time you have to talk to us here on the Big Red Bench, and we can't wait to talk to you again next week and recap round six in the AFLW. Thanks, Joe. Always a pleasure. Catch you next week. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Cork's Red FM resident Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie returns for her weekly segment reviewing all the latest F1 news. We have a full preview of the Singapore Grand Prix. Can Max Verstappen capture the title this weekend? Will Mercedes and Ferrari offer up any sort of resistance? And Sarah also gives us her the latest on the W Series and previews the W Series Singapore Grand Prix, which takes place this weekend as well. Delighted to have a resident Formula One expert back on the big red bench. And that is Sarah McKenzie to talk all things F1 and look ahead to the Singapore Grand Prix and talk about the W Series. lot to talk about, even though there hasn't been many races in the last couple of weeks. So uh, good to talk to you again, Sarah. Yeah, always good to chat up one. Indeed it is. Let's start though with uh, the 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 merry-go-round and the uh, the soap opera that is the seats for the grid for 2023. We still haven't finished 2022. 2023 is going to be a very, very exciting season, obviously, but in the last couple of days and weeks, there has been some movement in some of the teams about uh, who will be sitting in uh, two of those seats for the teams for next year. So what do we know uh, uh, from some of the teams most recently? Yeah, so uh, so Alpha Terry confirmed that Yuki Snowda will be staying on for one additional year. So I think possibly what saved him there actually was Pierre Gasly leaving because I don't think they've been that impressed. I mean, they've outwardly said actually that they haven't been that impressed with Snowda. So I think they just wanted to have kind of one secure person at least, you know, in their lineup. Um, they're interested in Nick DeVries. He met with Helmut Marco in Australia recently. So potentially he could fill that second seat, although there is a lot of interest in him, uh, including at Williams, where that was kind of the other major update that came a couple of days ago, which is that Nicholas Latifi's time finally appears to be up. I don't mean to sound mean, but I don't think anyone is particularly upset about that. I'm not upset. Um, I'll be mean. It's okay. (laughs) So I think, again, DeVries is a a big interest for them. Mm. The only thing is whoever replaces Latifi will need to bring significant sponsorship money because his mm. his family's business, Safina, was backing a lot of William's efforts, essentially. But apparently, that's not a problem for Nick DeVries. So, to be honest, he's really... It looks like he's sitting in kind of the 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 golden seat at the moment. There's an awful lot of teams interested in him. Um, where does Daniel Ricciardo sit in all this? Because there's been a bit of movement, and I know... You know, it, nothing had necessarily been confirmed about where he might go. But when is he being mentioned in any of these dispatches? Yep. So I think it's all but ruled out now for Alpine and AlphaTauri, given that they're two former teams of his. I think it, it doesn't really make sense, you know, for him to kind of go back to the well there, um, which would leave him with Haas or Williams, obviously the two teams 
along with kind of Aston Martin that are at the back of the grid most of the time. And I think he's kind of said he'll only he'll only stay for the right seat. And I don't know, honestly, if either of those teams would be able to provide that with him. The wild card here, which I was just reading up on today, is a Mercedes reserve driver role, which would keep him in the sport and potentially give him a shot at Hamilton's seat down the line. Hamilton's seat down the line if he did decide to retire in the next couple of years. Now, I don't know really if that makes any sense, but it's just an interesting sort of curveball that's been thrown into the discussion. I personally think a gap year for Daniel is looking more and more likely. Um, but we are wait we're kind of waiting to get a, any kind of confirmation there on what he's gonna do. Yeah, I, I hear you when you say on the C V and it sounds like we're talking about a student, but on the C V, <laughs> you know, I'm the Mercedes test driver. It sounds mm-hmm. a lot better with the greatest of respect to the teams at the bottom of the grid. The only thing is, Sarah, you'd have seen this over the years. Um I'm asking though this as, as as a fan, but do you not lose your sharpness as a driver on race day, on weekends, on quality, and everything that comes with it? I know being a test driver does a lot of you get a lot of you know track time, and that's great. But the cut and trust of being in a Formula One weekend, not just the race itself, but the, the two days leading up to it. I mean, is that something that you know if he's gone, even though for six months a year, a lot harder to get back in? And I don't know if Mercedes would see him as a future driver. Am I wrong? So normally I would agree, but I think the flip side of this for Daniel in his particular scenario is, let's face it, you know, out, he's been pretty lackluster out there on the track, even if even if he's like driving yeah. full time, yeah. right, for McLaren. So possibly the benefit of this Mercedes thing is, you know, they've already decided, turned their eye to the 2023 car. Mm. They said they figured out a lot of what's wrong he's possibly thinking okay this is going to be a better car than the other two options and actually maybe the fact that he's only going to get a couple of chances is like the spark that he needs if that makes sense like maybe that's actually he needs that motivation potentially I don't think I wouldn't have previously said he struggled with motivation but I think we've all seen this year has just been really poor and I wonder if like it's a you know strained move certainly but Stranger things have happened, I suppose, and there, you know, there's certainly pros and cons to to everything that he's looking at. No, that's fair. I think that's fair. The way you flipped it there, and you've given a, as always, a, a good eye on it. Um, it's just when you see him on the interviews and things, it does, you know, you do worry. I don't want to say worry about it, but it is quite sad to see mm-hmm. somebody who did so well with Red Bull with the right machinery, confidence, you know. Um, no fear driving around Monaco, winning in Monaco, places like this. I mean, th- this this guy has talent, and that's the thing with Formula One. I don't know, maybe it's just the 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 Netflix era, as I call it. You know, when there's just no patience anymore. You know, drivers mm. used to get a season; they don't even get three or four races now. There's so much pressure on the money side of things, and I suppose that has to be taken into account. That a guy of his talent, you know, not getting a seat, even with the, the those at the back of the of, of the grid, it, it looks to me now more than ever, that unless you're an absolute superstar and you have a chance of winning races, you could be gone halfway through mm-hmm. a season. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is very cutthroat. And I think, you know, certainly people are impatient. Um, you know, these team bosses are under an awful lot of pressure from, I think, probably more, you know, more areas than one. I think Formula One teams now have more sort of invested stakeholders than they ever have in the past. Mm. And I think there's, you know, definitely one of the cons of that from a driver perspective is you are definitely under extra pressure. Um, and things are always evolving so quickly that, you know, as you say, the the main con here is that if you 
if you kind of come out of the the current for too long, it is obviously harder to get back in. So I, I agree. I think it's very sad. I think Daniel brings a lot to the grid, um, you know, on and off the track. And I think it would be very sad to see him go. But it, at the minute, that does look still like like a big possibility. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And before we move off the subject, any chance of the Ferrari drivers moving on? He said, hopefully. Come on, Sarah, give no. me something to cling on. Oh, no, give me something to cling on to. I know. No, I mean, both on multi-year contracts, I think this is, I think this roller coaster, unfortunately for you, is and all the other Ferrari fans is You're far over. too kind calling it a roller coaster. I have other <laughs> words for that we can't use on the big red bench, but yeah, no, fair enough. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yes, we're going to be on with another season with the two boys. Can't wait. And that pit crew, they should have a Netflix series all on their own. Anyway, let's move on because uh, there's been a lot of movement, as you said, uh, and potential movement, a lot more to come in the coming weeks. But we turn our attention to Singapore. And before we talk about the Singapore F1 GP uh, Grand Prix, the W Series is something we haven't spoken about in a while. And at the moment, heading to Singapore, uh, Jamie Chadwick out in front 143 points ahead of our nearest competitor, Alice Powell on 65. And in the team standings, Jenna Racing, not surprisingly, on 144. But uh, click to drive Bristol Street Motors Racing, he said quickly, uh, on 95 <laughs> in second place. And the Quan Fury W Series team on 90. So it's tight enough apart from the front. But look, Chadwick is clearly, we've talked about Chadwick before, clearly a class apart um, in terms of her ability, in terms of her consistency. But uh, a few of the drivers have been involved in some bit of F3 testing recently. So what's the latest update on that? Yeah, so they were testing in Manicourt in France in September. And there were a couple of drivers there from the W Series. So they had Abby Pulling, Chloe Chambers and Naria Marty. And they also had Hamda al who is a driver in the Formula Regional European Championship for Prema Racing. And, I mean, Abby Pulling is only 19 years old. She's part of the Alpine F1 racer program. So there's some really, really um, promising drivers here. And, you know, they I, I love the fact that they kind of gave them, you know, they all got 50 laps. It was a really decent length run. They had a, a, the Formula 3 champion from this year was one of the kind of instructors for them. And it was just, I just love to see kind of them being tested on their own. I think, you know, giving the spotlight where it's due here is really important. And I think the more of this that we can see, the better. Um, you know, there's been contrary comments lately, people saying that there won't be a female F1 driver in the next five years. I think... The more of this that we see, the better an indication it is that this investment is being made because it costs money, you know, to to run all these tests. So I thought that was quite promising. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see kind of how these drivers actually convert that experience into the races. Although, as you said, Chadwick looks like a kind of a very clear winner here. She could actually take the championship in Singapore, potentially. Um, so We'll have to wait and see if that happens, similar to, to what's going on, obviously, in the F1. Yeah, but does Chadwick not becoming champion in the same weekend that Max Verstappen, and we'll talk about it very quickly, uh, might become champion? Like, if you put those two side by side, which is what you should do in terms of equality mm. when it comes to racing, W Series gets the rub. And the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, actually, as well, uh, Sarah, is why isn't you know Netflix involving the W Series in this? Isn't that not something that they could do? Because these are the kind of stories, Jamie Chadwick, for people who don't know about her, that I think would be invested in and interested in, even as part of a Netflix series of a drive to survive. Um, and like the W Series, what it needs more than anything, it needs a rivalry. It needs mm. two or three drivers, you know, bitching about each other, just like the men, 
um, and teams at each other's throats, just like the men. They need that, not necessarily the Hollywood of it, but the reality of it and the fact that in W Series, you're not just fighting for a title but you're fighting for equality you're fighting to get up the ladder and to become that first woman you know to break the break the barrier break you know and smash the the glass mirror so to speak i mean to me we're on the cusp of it with somebody like chadwick and it, it it's that kind of investment media wise that would put it over the edge i totally agree and it's interesting that you mentioned team rivalries because 2022 was the first year that there actually have been teams in the w series and you know you mentioned jenner racing like caitlin jenner is possibly the the best kind of publicity ambassador that you could ask for in this scenario and I don't think it will be long before some kind of content of that nature does come out the W series have kind of done their own content on YouTube and things like that but it's nothing to the degree of Drive to Survive and I agree I think if they could even get like a whole episode of a, a season dedicated to that you know the data that Netflix would get back on that would give them a huge indicator as to you know opportunities of where they can double down to increase their fan base so I think I think it is coming and I think the team piece is really important and I actually think strangely if Chadwick were to decide she's finished with the W series this year which is a a big possibility I think that would almost make it more enticing because second third Mm -hmm. fourth are all very close and I think that's where you're going to see those rivalries emerge from not from Jamie Chadwick. Very interesting point there. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's actually true. I suppose when you have a dominant figure, like when Schumacher was in his pomp, and, well, when Senna was in his pomp, there was a lot of, our, you know, just drivers on his, on his heels. But when Schumacher was running away with it, it was quite boring for a time, even for Ferrari fans. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Um, we move on finally to the Singapore Grand Prix, which takes place uh, this upcoming weekend. And I suppose the big talking point around it, heading into it, and the only talking point at the moment, well, sorry, the main one, is Max Verstappen could be crowned champion uh, and deservedly so what a season he's had we've talked about him every week um, his consistency um, he's got the right machinery with him he's got the best team and I think are we looking at him being crowned bar god forbid somebody crashed into him <laughs> yeah I mean essentially it would take that really so the the deal statistically is that he would have to outscore Charles Leclerc by 22 points to take the championship in Singapore no, he's never, Max Verstappen has never actually won an F1 race at the Marina Bay circuit. So it, it's not certain that he will take it this weekend and it would essentially need Leclerc to DNF, which again is possible. But I think most people are kind of thinking that Max is probably going to take the title in Suzuka instead. Um, with that being said, all he actually needs are three wins from the remaining six races. So even if he DNF'd four times, he could still win the championship. Um, so I think, you know, as you said, supreme performance-wise, really impressive. You know, you really can't fault him. You take the drama away and he sort of just, you know, sped off um, for want of a a better term. And I think there would probably be drama here. There generally is in Singapore. But um, I think Max is, you know, he's just just too good. As you say, with the exception of, um, you know, a crash or something like that, I think he's going to look good again this weekend. With the exception of a crash, there's been a few crashes in Singapore out through the years. It's yes. that kind of track. I just know, I'm just hoping for drama. I just know somebody, you could just imagine the reaction if somebody denied him at the first attempt, you know, the chance to become world champion. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I get, look, every track seems to suit the Red Bull and Adrian Newey's design. So there's no specific track that suits the Red Bull the best because it's just so well balanced and aerodynamic. This track is obviously going to suit it. It's the others we need to watch. Will Mercedes, do you think, have a few more add-ons? Will they've had time to work on something? And 
are they on the right track? Do you think, uh, especially with George Russell being so consistent and with Sir Lewis coming back into a bit of form, or could the Ferraris actually get the finger out and do something this weekend? Or what are you thinking? Is it, is it just Max all the way? I think it's actually one of the... I, so I, I love Singapore. It's actually my favourite bike race, if not kind of one of my favourite races full stop. And I think there is really the opportunity here for it to be almost anyone's game. I really think, you know, there's there's nobody that really has, you know, an outstanding record there. It's, there's, on average, there is at least one safety car per race. I think there's also the element of weather. So Singapore is obviously very humid and very warm, but there's actually storms forecast for this weekend as well. So strategy is going to play a huge part. <laughs> going to play a huge part in that. With that being said, Red Bull have obviously come out uh, top on strategy as well so far this year. So, look, I think they'll be very confident. Um, I think potentially if they can keep their noses clean, the Mercedes could capitalize on, you know, if there if there were to be drama for others. They do also, both drivers, George and Lewis, tend to be very strong mm. in changeable conditions. So I think that is a benefit to them, whereas I think the Ferraris may be a little a little less certain about their reliability in that kind of weather. That's very politely put, as usual, in a very... <laughs> you mentioned the fact that strategy comes into it this weekend, and if that's the case, then I'm just going to sit back with the popcorn. I'm not even going to look at the track. I'm just going to keep the camera on, <laughs> the red button on the Ferrari pit lane and see what happens, because rain, Singapore... A lot of people fighting for their seats and uh, a lack of, shall we say, a Ferrari strategy. I have a feeling I know how this is going to end between here and the weekend. <laughs> and I'll be back on next week asking you to explain it all to me again, Sarah, what Ferrari can do best. But listen, before we go, let's have a quick check of the standings. Max way out in front on 335 points at the start, at the top of the driver rankings in F1. Charles Leclerc, Ferrari is second in two, uh, 219. Sergio Perez in the other Red Bull on 210. And then George Russell on 203. And Carlos Sainz Jr., on 187 in the constructors, Red Bull uh, flying away uh, with 545 points. Second and third place looking interesting. Ferrari on 406, Mercedes 371, and then Alpine on 125 and McLaren who badly need to overtake them. Uh, pardon the bun on 107. It uh, it's been a busy time without any GPs. Um, Sarah McKenzie but I can't wait to hear from you next week when we uh, dissect all the uh, happenings on and off the track from Singapore from both the W Series and the Formula One. Until then, thanks very much for joining us. Absolutely, can't wait. The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Echolive.ie and Echo Newspaper Camogie columnist Linda Mellerick joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to review all four SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior Club Championship quarterfinals. The standout players and the main talking points from Shandoon's win over Airog, St Finbar's hard-earned victory over Killa, Inescara edging a brave Cladove and Sars overcoming Corsi Rovers following a classic. Now, we are down to the final four in this year's SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior Championship, and we are just coming off four really intriguing uh, quarterfinals. Who better to talk to than uh, Echo, Echo columnist uh, Linda Mellerick, who uh, witnessed most, if not all, of these games. Linda, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench again. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It's a very busy time, um, but it's getting really, really interesting uh, at the business end, as we like to say, of the Cork Camogie Senior Championship. I know there's a lot of other championships going on, but we're going to focus on the senior one tonight. Um, and obviously, uh, the fact that we now know uh, the four semi-finalists, I'm correct in saying the Bars will take on Shandoon and Inascara will face Sars in those semi-finals. Um, let's talk about the SARS game first because they came through a real test from Corsi Rovers, winning 118 to 213. You were there. Um, how good a game was this, quality-wise? 
I thought this was a great game. I really enjoyed it. Um, two very young teams. I actually was watching stars warming up and uh, I said to myself, my God, they look so young. <laughs> they were really young because um, stars have had a lot of um, injuries and it's even coming from last year. Katie Barry is in uh, Dubai. Maeve McCarthy broke her ankle a couple of weeks ago. Olivia McAllen is out with a, with a suspected knee a cruciate injury. Holly Hurley, he couldn't start. So, you know, massive players for stars. And um, to be without them, and I, I can see them warming up, I think it's so young. And I know, of course, these are a young team, but they're an experienced team as well. And there's there's some of them would be, you know, mid, mid-20s mid and maybe late 20s now, just one or two of them. So, um, yeah, it was a really good game. Out of all the games I saw, I probably enjoyed this one the most. It was end-to-end. Um, some great hurling, nice and fast, live two lively teams, and um, you know I I would have chipped courses to come out on top before this game. I would have just put uh no full credit to Sarah. It was a tremendous second half performance and uh, deservedly advanced. Indeed, they do, and they face into a semi-final, a mouth-watering semi-final. I think to put it mildly against Inescara. No, Inescara didn't have it all their own way against Kladov, winning fourteen points to one eight. And Kladov have been one of the stories of this championship this year. Um, Linda, not really. I mean, not expected to contend, maybe to win it out. I, I think that's fair. But they showed what they're made of and pushed Inescara all the way in this one. Yeah, and I think you know, um, I, I, I'm. Bumped into Tim Barry Murphy last night at the Shandoon and their own game, and you know they were very disappointed to lose because when you get that far, you want to keep going. And uh, they have had a tremendous, from a neutral's perspective, you know they've done very well this year. And what a performance against Inascara! I mean, their worry was phenomenal, their fitness and and their belief because you know twice they pulled um, Inascara back to they were three points down. Or the four points, I'm sorry, and then they pulled it back level in the second half. Um, the only thing that caught on my thought number one, they needed to take every opportunity they, they, that was presented to them. They missed a few frees in the first half, and we even commented on it early in the first half that they needed to be getting those. Uh, but still, they threw level in the second half, and in, in additional time, it was level. But I just felt that sometimes the first touch lets them down. And you don't get a second chance at this level. You know, you're pounced upon straight away. And maybe one or two panicked decisions in uh, when you're under pressure, you know, taking the wrong option probably cost them. But then you've got the experience of Inascara, um, you know, Aileen Sheehan to, to go one up there in addition time, her first point. She had milliseconds to, to look and take that strike from, from distance and, and, and nailed it and then hit another two. And it's funny how, how how games play out. I mean, there wasn't an inch of space in that second half. And then for Aileen to get three points in the space of two minutes in additional time was, was went against the green, really. So disappointing for for Kudu. But I mean, if they can build on this and really keep it together, they had some lovely young players. I was really impressed all season with Neil Max, Max Nabola. Mm. And, uh, you know, hopefully next year they 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 come again. Um, talk to me about Joanne Casey. We know how good a player she is, but you mentioned her reliability and her consistency. How important is she for the Sinascara team? Ocean, look, she's huge. I mean, she plays She plays sometimes, I think, probably too deep um, big, uh, to come out and win possession. Um, but her strength when she's on possession, you, you really can't just possess her. Possess her. her speed, her ball control, and, of course, her accuracy. Um 
she comes out, she wins ball, she runs up the wing, she, she you know, she uh, m- moves up, wins ball, and then and then scores. Um, she's a look, look she's a she's a massive player for Inescara. You know, everyone knows that. If if she wasn't there, to you know, it might be a different story. She's complimented, of course, very well with Aileen Sheehan, but really Joanne Casey for a number of years now was a massive, has been and continues to be a massive player for, for them. And just to finish up on it, Rena Buckley. Uh, lining out for Iscara again. Uh, is there no end to this woman's talent? I know, so she looks better now than she ever did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and look again, the intelligence, the intelligent play of Rena and the positioning, and just, just, just the set, how she settles players and the team around her. Um, so look, it's, it's invaluable, really. Players like that are invaluable to every every club team, you know. Indeed they are and uh, the people like Rena Buckley only come along once in a generation in terms of her uh, longevity in terms of her uh, ability and it's great to see her still playing at the highest level at club level here in Cork. Let's move on to the other half of the draw because St Finbar's um, got through to the semi-finals but they were pushed once again in another really good sounds like a very very good quarter final by Killa winning 313 to 211 at Castle Road. How good were the bars on the day Linda I suppose is the first question and how impressed were you with Killa? Well, you know what? The second half, it, it did become very exciting because Killer got it back to a goal on two occasions. And they were nine points down at one point, um, early midway through the second half. You know, um, they were very flat-footed, I felt, in the first half. And uh, Nicole Olden got two chances and, 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 and struck two goals. And then Jim O'Connor hit her ball from about 40 yards and... Uh, and, and it dipped on the crossbar as well. So really, you know, you think this game was over coming up to half time. Um, Killer just, I don't know, I think they did, I felt that once or twice in the first half, they lost possession too easily. They lost, they gave it up too easily um, for Nicole's second goal. Um, but then to, to give them massive credit, they really came back in the second half and drove, drove on. And uh, on two occasions, as I said, had a down to a goal. But, I never thought they were going to win the game. I always said that the Bars had more in the tank if they needed it and, and cut up the ante, and, and so they did. And uh, ended up scoring the last few points of the game again to, 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 to just see it home, you know? Yeah, indeed they did. Like you've mentioned in many of your reports, just the depth and talent, uh, the depth of talent that St. Finbars have. But Orla Cahalan popped up with five points again um, on the day, Linda, and she's developing, like she's coming up. She's still very, very young. She's a dual player. How well did she play and how important is she going to be now at the business end when it gets really tight for the Bears? Oh, listen, she's, she's a genital player. And uh, what I like about her is that she plays with just such calmness and confidence. She, she never looks flustered. Um, when she's on the ball and she, she she's such speed, she has time to look up and, and very constantly find her teammate or take a score. Listen, she, she's a massive player. And when you consider the bars, or without Maeve on the day as well, um, it was a big loss. But I, actually, Eva Walsh was, was, was a loss as well for, for Killa because I think she was even a, a bigger loss for them because I felt she might have picked up Nicole Olden and... Uh, would have, you know, probably would have maybe, maybe, maybe stopped one of those two goals anyway. Um, but yeah, look, this is uh, the part of a very, very strong forward division, and you know, and they have runners, so you know, they they they, they bring out two two forwards into the midfield, they play four inside from the 45 up, and they have speed and they play that ball into open space. And all the Cahalan will play both wings, she just run all day for you, as will the Paul Olden. 
and then they can afford to put Sarko McCarthy and Keegan McCarthy further up the delivering good ball in. So um, they're very strong, and of course they've been counter players in the back line too. You've uh, Ashley Egan. Um, uh, well, brain is gone now. You've Ken O'Leary in there as well, and uh, you know Eve um, O'Neill. You know, so so all over the pitch, they're they're very balanced, but. It's going to be some game against Shandun because Shandun are similar in that they have a massive forward division as well and a very strong midfield. And it's really going to, you know, it's really going to be up to the defences here to, to who can stop both sets of forward. God, would you hate to be a defender facing into those two sets of forward I lines know, coming to the semi final? You mentioned yeah. Shandun. They put up 5 16 on a young but a coming Aero team. Um, worth mentioning, of course, Amy O'Connor got 4 2 of that. She had an, an excellent game. You must have been impressed with Shandun, Linda. I mean, look, this is this is what you got to do when you get to this stage. You got to win and you got to put up a score and make sure you get through to the semi finals. And Shandun did that. They did. And, uh, you know, I feel, you know, to be fair to Aero, you know, they, they did have some nice moments in that game and um, uh, and Flew has been running through the team all week so that kind of hampered him a bit. You know, you, you don't have the energy levels at that point. But I, I was impressed with some of their... They came out of a lot of 50-50 tosses which is something Shandun will have to address going into the semi-final. But, um, yeah, look, uh, it's hard for the vision side. You know, it, it was always difficult with club, with club Camogie, with the intermediate and junior teams having their own championships. And that's, that's at the latter stages as well. And there's always a, a fear of injury. But now there's so many dual players. So they're out every other day. And, you know, you have football finals and you have intermediate semi-finals and finals and quarter-finals coming up and everything. And uh, it's, um, it's, just, it's, it's the, the weariness in the legs. I mean, the bars, can rest in between their sessions and they can focus solely on the semi-final. Shandun are gone back to their club and they're gone back to their football. And um, now I know the Bards have uh, some football players as well. Um, so last night was an important game for them because they haven't played in three weeks. So I think they needed to brush off the cobwebs as a, as a group, as a unit. And uh, they did that. So um, I hope they have time to get together even once before the semi-final and, and, and you know make a plan, so to speak. Yes, make a plan indeed, and what a plan that's going to need to be. But uh, we are down to the final four of what's been a really entertaining SE Systems Cork Mogie Senior Championship so far this year. Bars taking on Shandun in one semi final. Inescar will be taking on Sars in the other semi final. They promise to be two fantastic games. But for now, um, echolive.ie. Uh, columnist and you can find Linda Mellerick's work in the Echo during the week and on echolive.ie. Uh, thank you very much for talking to us here on the Big Red Bench. Thank you, Gerard. Talk soon. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.